0: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick, and it's Saturday. Time to go into the old vault, this time for part two of the uh, episode we ran last Saturday. This originally aired December 27th, 2018. This is our Christmas Island Crab Special, part two. That's right. Yeah, these were really fun to put together. And then also it was fun
1: because afterwards we heard from listeners uh, who, who had lived uh, who there. Had Lived on Christmas yeah. Island and had seen these uh, some of these marvelous creatures firsthand. Uh, so that that was delightful. And then hopefully we'll hear all new stories with re-airing these. Uh, this episode was originally titled "What Christmas Island Crabs Part Two: Decka Decka Pod you I, I believe it was.
0: Yes. So uh, hold still while the claw closes around you. <laughs>
1: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from
0: howstuffworks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb and I'm Joe McCormick and it's Giant Crab's time. That's right. We are continuing our exploration of Christmas Island. And if you would if you if you're asking yourself, "Wait, Guys, where's Christmas Island? What are you talking about? Well, then that means you need to go back and listen to the episode that uh, published right before this one, because that one will explain where Christmas Island is, what its whole deal is, what the human history uh, happens to be concerning Christmas Island, and we go in-depth about uh, the red crab of Christmas Island, its most singular and famous Decapod inhabitant.
0: Now, it has another Decapod inhabitant that is by no means limited to Christmas Island, uh, certainly not to the extent that the Christmas Island red crab is, and that other Decapod inhabitant is The coconut crab or the robber crab, which is another glorious clawed crustacean in its own –
1: now, I have to admit, even though, as we mentioned in the previous episode, there's virtually nothing Christmas about Christmas Island other than the fact that the guy who named it happened to name it on Christmas Day. I
0: think you decided like back in June that like, well, when it, when it's time for Christmas, we're just going to talk about crabs. Yeah, it's enough. It's enough of <laughs> of a reason for me.
1: And I have to admit that I I keep – um, hearing the Christmas song, Christmas Island, in my head is I'm thinking about this. Even, even what is I'm, that song? Oh, well, it's – its uh, I can't remember who recorded it originally, but I think like Bing Crosby did a version of it. Um, Leon, Redbone, Leon did a, Redbone did a fabulous version of it. Uh, and it, of course, is just kind of this silly, cheesy song about – uh, weirdly uh, about like having some sort of an, uh, an, an an ideal fantasy Christmas on some distant island, but also some this whole bit about how it 's going to keep your woman from straying from you or something what <laughs> yeah i yeah i didn 't really notice this part of it until I started reading the lyrics, but it 's like you 'll never stray because it 's going to be Christmas every day um, <laughs> which which is weird, but this reminds me of another uh, <laughs> Another Christmas song it I listened to recently. Like it's like made on purpose to be creepy. There uh, are a lot of cr- creepy Christmas songs. There was, there was a – I've been listening to a lot of um, like R&B – like old R&B kind of uh, Christmas songs that mm-hmm. it plays on one of the Soma FM channels. Yeah. And there was one I was listening to the other day, and it had a similar thing that was like, baby, you're never going to leave me because when, with me, it's Christmas every day. Which seems like a very bold promise to try and make to right. uh, you know your, your prospective uh, girlfriend or wife. The nog never stops. We will have eggnog every day. <laughs> there will be a tree, a live Christmas tree in the house every day. It's it's a high bar. I have a live-in Santa. <laughs> but it made me think, well, what if Christmas Island was actually about Christmas Island? Uh, we may end up cutting this. I don't know how it'll sound. But, but I think it would go something like this. How'd you like to deck the halls with a deck of pods? How'd you like to see a crab so big you'll worship it as a god? <laughs> If you ever spend Christmas on Christmas Island, you will never sleep. You'll probably weep when robber crabs come for you. How'd you like? Hey, no, oh, there's more. Okay. There's more.
0: <laughs> Don't let me cut there's, you off. No, There's
1: another verse. <laughs> How'd you like to eat carrion on like the robber crabs do? How'd you like to see them snip a coconut directly in two? If you ever spend Christmas on Christmas Island, you will never sleep. You'll probably weep when robber crabs come for you. Can I applaud now? Yes, you can. Yes. Hey. <laughs> Again, we may cut that, uh, but hopefully it'll become a standard.
0: What do you think is the longest period of unbroken singing that has ever happened on this podcast before?
1: Oh, I don't know. Uh, probably from uh, of when Julie Douglas was one of the, uh, the the hosts. Oh, did she sing? She, she, she did have a, a knack for uh, busting into show tunes. Well- or Wait, I don't know if they were show tunes, but- She did have a knack for bursting into song.
0: Well, I really appreciate that. This art you have just shared with us, Robert. (laughs) And it raises so many interesting questions. Like how big would a crab have to be before you worshipped it as a god?
1: Well, if you look up... A picture of the robber crab or the coconut crab, specifically if it is uh, next to a human being mm-hmm. or on
0: something that you can you know you know the size for, like a garbage can. Unfortunately, I got to break your heart, Robert. Mm-hmm. There is a viral image you've probably seen of a coconut crab or robber crab on a garbage can, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, in that image, the garbage can is a smaller than average garbage can. It's still a garbage can, though, yeah? <laughs> but you're getting a little bit of a skewed perspective. Okay. Well, there. I saw a picture of it of one of these crabs
1: uh, affixed to a tree next to Brian Cox, not the actor Brian Cox. Oh, what a shame! But the the science uh, scientist and science communicator Brian Cox. Uh, and I would say that it looks big enough in that in that particular photo to worship.
0: Oh, these things are plenty big. Yeah, I can see people worshiping. Uh, so, okay, we we've mentioned several times today. We're going to be talking about the coconut crab or the robber crab. This is Birgus latro, and it is the largest land dwelling arthropod on earth, though technically not a true crab. They are decapod crustaceans, but not a member of the infra-order Brachiura, which is what true crabs are. But if you don't tattle on us, we can call them crabs today. <laughs> uh, right? right. If hermit crabs are called crabs, I mean, they're not technically crabs, but we call them crabs. Yeah. We'll, Coconut crabs, we can call them
1: crabs. Yeah, we we'll loosely referred to as crabs. Um, and and even in in some of the you know the the more scientific literature we're looking at here, they'll still just go ahead and call them crabs. They notice,
0: yeah. So if it is the largest land dwelling arthropod on Earth, how big is that, right? How big do you have to be? Well, a standard adult robber crab is about one meter or about forty inches measured from the tips of the legs. They can weigh about four point five kilograms, or almost ten pounds. And that is a big arthropod to be on land, right? They're they're not the largest arthropod ever or overall. The largest ever that we know about was probably uh, Jacolopterus, which is this extinct genus of sea scorpion that probably got about uh, 2.5 meters long. These things were gigantic, terrifying, wonderful, extinct creatures. Uh, The largest today in terms of leg span is the Japanese spider crab, which can in in extreme cases have a leg span of almost 4 meters. Uh, But it's also kind of spidery with like big skinny legs so it's it depends on how you count size
1: yeah like the, the those big spider crabs they kind of look like they are the um the, the skeleton for a tent
0: right it's like they're they're in a contest to get measured biggest by leg span alone right uh so i guess it all depends on how you're measuring but being the largest land dwelling arthropod i think is something very special on its own because As we've often discussed, psychologically, I think to us the sea is still very much that other world where strange and unfamiliar life forms are expected. They're okay, right? It's okay with you that there are sharks in the sea. But if there were sharks on land, it would not be okay with you. And the same is true for large crustaceans. When you see a meter-long decapod walking around in your front yard and you haven't grown up around creatures like this, you may feel you've been transported to an atomic age monster movie. Like something is wrong.
1: You know, I realize that people who live close to um, to to the, the sea and are around crabs, they may be more used to finding the occasional crab indoors, the occasional land crab yeah. uh, walking around in their house. Uh, I always still, when it happens to me, like if I'm on vacation somewhere and a crab is in the house, it is an exciting and special treat. Yeah. And- and uh, I have to say that when my wife and I went on our honeymoon to Yulapa, Mexico, mm-hmm. which is a little island, so again, uh, the kind of place where land crabs uh, have a field day. And indeed, our, our, our journey there seemed to, to time nicely with uh, this surge of tiny land crabs that were just walking all over the place. And since we were staying in this kind of hut-type structure that was right on the beach, mm-hmm. during the night, crabs would be all over the floor, whoa to the to the point where you had to be careful where you were stepping because you might step on a crab if wow. you were watching and you know they can't actually climb up into bed with you or anything but it was still uh it was quite a, a a crazy environment to find myself in
0: wait how did you prevent them from getting in bed with you
1: well they just didn't they didn't seem like they were really climbers the the crab we're talking about here today the 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 coconut crab um again not a true crab Heck of a climber, yes. Uh, but these particular crabs, they—I I never saw them cr- climb anything. They would—they would come in under the doors, mm-hmm. and they would sort of come in through cracks in the wall, and then fall down under the floor, and then keep crawling. But they never tried to make it up the bed. Hmm. What a shame. These same huts, I should mention, uh, also uh, some of them had lost some plastic uh, screening up around the top, Uh which permitted fruit bats to come in (laughs) and uh, eat fruit and poop onto the floor of the hut. But we didn't have to worry about that in ours.
0: Wow. Okay, okay. So back to to Birgus Latro. Now- the last time we talked we talked primarily about the christmas island red crab which is mostly just on christmas island and another small island group uh but the uh, th- this this crab like animal this decapod crustacean we're talking about today the king of crabs is not just confined to christmas island though it is very numerous on christmas island yeah they're found throughout the
1: tropical islands of the pacific and indian ocean but but christmas island has the largest population by far yeah and uh, as I mentioned, they are excellent climbers, mostly, though, to escape uh, any dangers or threats that they're not crazy about if they're nowhere near a burrow.
0: Now, here's a question. What is the danger or threat to the world's largest terrestrial arthropod?
1: Well, my understanding is that the, the major threat, of course, is humans, hmm. uh, which we'll get into in a bit. Though on the other side, we have to say that the the Christmas Island population of coconut crabs or robber crabs, it's also the best protected population of, uh, of, of robber crabs in the mm-hmm. world. So, you know, it's Christmas Island, as always. It's this it's this mix of, ooh, humans really messed that one up. And at the same time, there's some great examples of humans really trying to get it right.
0: Uh, yeah, well, we will talk in a little bit about using them for meat and for their oil. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so so how do they survive on Christmas Island specifically? Well, um, we,
1: we mentioned in the last episode about the danger that— um, that the automobiles uh, pose, as well as trains pose, uh, to uh, the, the smaller um, uh, Christmas Island red crab. But according to the Australian Department of uh, Environment and Energy, between 2010 and 2012, some 2,000 coconut crabs died on the roads uh, of Christmas Island. They kept track of the fatalities, and they actually posted fluorescent pink circles uh, by the roadside to remind motorists to drive carefully.
0: Now, I think we've mentioned that the uh, coconut crabs are relatives of the hermit crabs. And if you see them, they almost kind of look like gigantic hermit crabs. But what we know is that hermit crabs will claim shells that they find in their environment and, and inhabit them as protection. Do, uh, do do we see anything like that in the, uh, in the robber crab or the coconut crab?
1: Not in the adults. So the adults don't use shells at all. Uh, they're beyond that. Instead, uh, the abdomen is, is tucked partially underneath the body, and they have a series of hardened plates that provide covering along with uh, bristly tufts of skin along the rest of the abdomen. I'm my own shell. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, what would they even climb inside? Football helmets? <laughs> but- uh, <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs>
0: Fate whispers to the warrior, a shell is needed. <laughs> the warrior whispers back, I am the shell. What is that from? No, it's some saying. That's in, it's in like one of the Mission Impossible movies. Okay. It's on T-Shirt shirts and stuff it's oh like, i've missed that one. it's one of those like no fear t-shirt slogans oh so it's just, on t-shirts you say yeah I, I don't know where it originally
1: are comes you saying from. it should be in our t-shirt shop Accessible via StuffToBlowYourMind.com? No, I don't think so. Okay, well, just throwing <laughs> it out there. Okay, so um, even though the adults don't use the shells, juvenile coconut crabs do seem to employ the shell method of hermit crabs for protection, but the juveniles are hard to observe because they are often burrowed. Mm. This is similar to what we saw with the, the red crabs of Christmas Island, like the, the the younger crabs, the ones that have not reached adulthood yet. They're going to try and just stay out of the thick of it uh, in, until they're, uh, they're, they've reached the appropriate size. And um the adults, incidentally, they molt underground in special burrows. So they'll 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 just dig down into this uh kind of spherical chamber and that's where they'll do all their molting and then they'll come back up. Now coconut crabs are mostly sort of a deep blue in color and they tend to look kind of you see footage of them, they look kind of like brown ish. Yeah. But you'll see kind of uh, bits of blue. Sometimes there's a tinge of red in places.
0: Sometimes kind of like a weird off purple.
1: Yeah. And then, of course, they have claws. Uh, They have a a large left claw, a smaller right claw, and it's kind of hard to pick up on the size differential when you're just looking at them unless you look closely, I find. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then they have two pairs of long walking legs and a smaller pair of appendages that are used for mating and egg manipulation.
0: Now, these are land crabs, so do they have anything to do with the water? Well, uh, we see a similar situation as with the, 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 uh, the, the red crabs that we talked about in the
1: last episode. Mm-hmm. So they have uh, only vestigial gills, and they'll actually drown if left in water for more than an hour. The gill tissue is given over to a highly vascular, uh, what I often uh, I've seen uh, uh, described as lung tissue with lung, in, in quotation marks. But for, for land lubber breathing,: Yeah, these are land crabs. These are the
0: crabs of the forests. All right, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will discuss Charles Darwin's encounters with the coconut crabs. All right, we're back. So, you know, Charles Darwin himself wrote about coconut crabs in his 1839 work, The Voyage of the Beagle. Ah. Uh, this was in his chapter on Keeling Island, what was known as Keeling Island. then. I think it's also now known as the Cocos Islands or territory, which is another group of islands in the Indian Ocean. And uh, so Darwin's observations were were interesting. He, he starts by writing, quote, I have before alluded to a crab which lives on the coconuts. It is very common. I, I love it. He He hyphenates coconuts. (laughs) It is very common on all parts of the dry land and grows to a monstrous size. It is closely allied or identical with the Birgos Latro. So he – basically, he's already talking about the same animal. Uh, the front pair of legs terminate in very strong and heavy pincers, and the last pair are fitted with others weaker and much narrower. It would at first be thought quite impossible for a crab to open a strong cocoa nut covered with the husk, but Mr. Leask assures me that he has repeatedly seen this effected. The crab begins by tearing the husk fiber by fiber, and always from that end under which the three eye holes are situated. When this is completed, the crab Crab commences hammering with his heavy claws on one of the eye holes till an opening is made. Then, turning round its body, by the aid of its posterior and narrow pair of pincers, it extracts the white albuminous substance. I think this is as curious a case of instinct as I have ever heard of, and likewise of adaptation in structure between two objects apparently so remote from each other in the scheme of nature as a crab and a coconut tree." Maybe I'm missing something, but I honestly don't see what he thinks is so strange about
1: that. Well, the crab is a creature of the dark infernal depth, and the coconut is uh, is the, the the fruit of heaven. I don't, I don't know. Like one is <laughs> one is high, the other low. I mean, because one of the the things
0: about it, when you look at a a coconut crab, I mean, it kind of looks like a coconut. Yeah. Yeah, that is strange. I I mean I'm not saying like Darwin is dense here. Obviously, you know, his insights about nature are usually pretty interesting even when he's wrong. Uh I'm not I'm not seeing what's so strange about that. That seems like a very natural kind of relationship. But I don't know, maybe we're just used to thinking uh, post-Darwinian thoughts about this kind of thing.
1: And I'll have a little more on uh coconut crabs eating coconuts uh, a little later on in the episode.
0: Oh, yes, yes. Uh, so he points out a few other things. He says that the crab is active in the daytime, but every night it goes to the sea to moisten its gills. And this seems contradicted by modern reports in which I've read that the coconut crab is not exclusively nocturnal, but it likes nocturnal activity, sort of prefers it.
1: Right. This is what I read, too, that it, it'll come out at night, but it also it'll come out uh, if it's a cloudy day, that yeah. sort of thing. And it also, it's very, I think, an environmental informed. So if the coconut crab is living in an area where uh, humans or say dogs or whatever are going to mess with it, Mm -hmm. that might impact uh, how often it comes out. But if they have free range and they're just going to do whatever.
0: <clears throat> so yeah, it sounds like uh, his report could be wrong here. Uh, he says they live in burrows that they dig under the roots of trees and that they make beds in their burrows out of the fibers of husks that they tear from coconuts. And I have uh, I, I have looked for modern evidence of that. I have not found that th- anything uh, about that.
1: Uh, I didn't run across it either. I certainly ran across observations that you will find like shredded bits of coconut husk in areas where the crabs live hmm. but i think that is probably due to what they do to coconuts and not any kind of uh, like nesting ritual
0: yeah Interesting. Uh, If anybody out there knows of any evidence of that, we would like to see it. Also, Darwin, on eating the largest terrestrial arthropod, quote, these crabs are very good to eat. Moreover, (laughs) under the tail of the larger ones, there is a mass of fat, which when melted sometimes yields as much as a quart bottle full of limpid oil. Oh. Uh, He relays reports that the robber crabs climb up trees to get coconuts, but he doubts this is true. Other reports say that they live only on the nuts that have already fallen to the ground. And, uh, and he also says, quote, to show the wonderful strength of the front pair of pincers, I may mention that Captain Moresby confined one in a strong tin box which had held biscuits, the lid being secured with wire, but the crab turned down the edges and escaped. In turning down the edges, it actually punched many small holes quite through the tin. Oh. Uh, so we must return to the subject of these tin piercing claws in a bit. Now, as a side note, I so I was trying to find if there was any evidence of the coconut crabs making uh, husk beds in their in their nests, and I kept I, I was googling things like do coconut crabs make. Uh, nests of coconut husks or something, but every time I typed "do coconut crabs make," Google wanted to autocomplete "do coconut crabs make good pets." <laughs> what is wrong with this world? Why is that what it's telling me to look up?
1: Yeah, I, I didn't. I did not research anything about uh, keeping them as pets, but it seems Doesn't like they would seem not like make like a good, good pet. idea. No. I mean, for one thing, they're just a larger creature that seems like it needs to roam around and live a. Fairly nomadic lifestyle. On the other hand, there there are varieties of hermit crabs that it seem to be more established as pets. Uh-huh. Um, not every species, but a few particular species.
0: <clears throat> they, given the tin box story, it seems like they might be a little bit hard to confine.
1: Yeah. And, yeah, and then the other thing, too, I, when I first saw them, the, the footage I first saw of them in that, uh, that documentary we talked about for 1988, they, they look like brown fly-covered um, carrion gobblers. So I'm not <laughs> yes. sure to what extent that you see that and you're like, yes, I want one of those in my house.
0: Yeah, I mean they – like many crabs, they are opportunistic omnivores. So even if they do in a way specialize in coconuts, they also uh, – they, they will eat carrion. I think we already mentioned that, right? Yeah. yeah. They, they they are into meat when they can get it. Even weird sources of meat you might not expect. In fact, there, there are viral videos of them. I, I don't know if this is common. It seems like this is probably not super common. But there, there have been videos posted on the internet of these crabs like at, attacking and killing live animals like live birds
1: yeah i was looking at one of these as well the, the cut of it at least that i saw i was unclear exactly how they came it's to true encounter one another
0: yes that's a very good point uh, it cuts in in the middle of their encounter so it could be that the bird attacked the crab or they just stumbled into each other by accident so I, I wouldn't want to imply that the crabs are like hunting the birds but clearly if if they were given the chance they would they would kill and eat a bird yeah
1: um yeah, they're pretty fierce creatures. In fact, they have no natural predators other than themselves. And of course, uh, you know, Charles Darwin, if he's trying to eat one. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, on Christmas Island, they reside almost in all corners of the environment. They'll certainly shelter under tree roots, as we mentioned, uh, but they also will use like small caves, crevices, hollow logs, and just earth burrows, especially for that molting practice I was talking about. And, uh, and like we, we've said, they will generally stay out of sight during the day and head out to forage at night, but also on overcast days. And uh, it does seem uh, to also uh, depend upon, uh, you know, what's going on in the local environments, you know, when are humans about, when are competitors about. They seem nomadic, but uh, may return to a specific burrow and may need to return to the sea to drink water in order to obtain um, osmotic uh, balance from time to time. This hmm. is something that, uh, that Darwin actually touched on. And on larger islands, they seem to remain in the same area for exter- extended periods of time. Not sightseers. Yeah, they're not really really sightseers. Now, what do they forage for? Well, they love vegetable material, the fruits of various trees, and the pith of fallen oranga palms. Uh, but they also tear into some carrion, as we've been, uh, been been
0: discussing. And they have a great sense of smell to aid in these hunts. One diet fact I came across is that apparently it is true that they've got a very crafty strategy for uh, not wasting energy. After they molt, they eat their own discarded exoskeletons. Well, that's just, that's just kind of... Common sense right there. Right. So... I mean, who out there picks their dead skin and doesn't eat it? Oh. (laughs) Too much for you now, Robert? Yeah. I shift over to primates and now you're like,
1: no, I won't take it. Um, (laughs) All right. So one thing that's probably uh, um, come to some of your minds out there is, okay, the, the link between the coconut and the coconut crab is pretty obvious, but... We've also referred to them as robber crabs. Yeah. does that moniker come from?
0: I was wondering about that. Do they they have like a little like a bandit mask kind of coloration or something?
1: Uh, No, but uh, what I read is that they will obsessively carry off any foreign object they come across, including pots and silverware from camps. Nice. And thus— they're known as robber crabs now these these uh, these crabs will live for quite a while. I've read that they may live up to fifty years. Mm. Uh,
0: I've also seen between thirty and forty, but longevity may exceed fifty years. All right, so I want to come back to a Darwin question. Darwin reports uh, him and his friends and Captain Moresby and all these people, they think these things are pretty good to eat. They produce tasty oil, all that kind of stuff. Is that – I mean, are there people who still eat these things?
1: Well, I was reading a bit about this in Coconut Crabs by Warwick J. Fletcher. And he he points out that they are quite edible despite their appearance as a large, you know, slightly grotesque fly-covered scavenger. And he wrote that uh, the crabs in many Indo-Pacific cultures are – are of ceremonial importance for weddings, and uh they' they're attributed with aphrodisiac qualities mm. and they're they're also pretty ca- easy to catch is the other thing you know if a human wants to eat a coconut crab, they can do it. Uh, I don't they're know about, not
0: fast moving
1: <laughs> yeah, and I don't know about you, but when I was looking around for footage of them, I inevitably found some reality show about like a naked guy on an island. Yeah, that ends up. I did not find this killing and um, and uh, grilling and eating a coconut crab. Is it that TV show about putting a naked guy in the woods? I believe it is. I mean, I don't know how many shows with that description exist. You'd be shocked, <laughs> but it is at least one of them.
0: No, that was the permit. It was like it. W- we, I think it was. It had the word naked in the title. I don't remember. What. I think it was Discovery who did it too. Huh. Well, at any rate, they're, they're easy
1: to catch. <laughs> if you're a, an established hunter, you can do it. And if you're just some naked reality TV star, mm-hmm. uh, you also have a pretty good shot at catching one and eating it. Uh, but, uh, but this is un- unfortunate in some areas because it has pushed them to the point of extinction in some parts of the world. Now, an interesting theory that Fletcher points out is that you look at their distribution – um you know on these various islands and it roughly matches the distribution of coconut palm leading some to theorize that the coconut palm may have been its means of migration huh Uh, like how does that work oh well the way i'm imagining he didn't really go into a lot of detail on this is i'm guessing they 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 arrived on uh, like floating on bits of uh, the, the the tree or perhaps coconuts themselves wow
0: yeah that's interesting
1: and I should point out they are common only on island habitats where they typically don't have to compete with as many terrestrial organisms. I mean, that's I think that's one <laughs> right,
0: of the, they they don't do well where there are tigers or something.
1: Yeah, well, it's it it comes back to the, you know, the the the, the beauty of an isolated island environment, right? Uh-huh. Uh that you can you can have certain organisms uh, really go wild in ways that they wouldn't be able to do uh, elsewhere in the world.
0: Okay, I think we're going to take another break and when we come back we'll ask the burning question Was Darwin right? Can they actually open coconuts with their claws? We'll find out. All right, we're back. All right, Robert. I bet you have seen uh, videos of humans trying to open coconuts. It often seems to require something like a machete. Like you, oh, yeah. you need a very strong tool and some leverage to get a coconut open because these are these are hard nuts.
1: Yeah, I I mean, have you ever tried to open a coconut? No, I haven't. It it's, it can be a bit difficult. Yeah. We uh, we purchased
0: one. I purchased
1: one for the first time. Uh, in the last year or two because uh, my son like really wanted to eat one. And so mm-hmm. I bring it home and then I'm like buster on a uh, rest development. I'm, I have to ask like, how do you eat one? I have to like do a, a YouTube search. Uh-huh. How do I open a coconut? How do I prepare it? <laughs> and, uh, and there are several steps involved. <laughs> um, so yeah, they, these are these are robust uh, um, nuts. They are, they are difficult to crack. Uh, this is something that if it falls from a tree and hits you on the head, it can kill you. Yeah. So the, uh, the the relationship between the coconut crab and the coconut this is apparently an area of some controversy uh, because because despite the fact that this is where they get their name uh, you know and the fact that we have all these uh, stories about them opening coconuts we have a lot less in the way of definitive proof. Uh-huh. So uh, Fletcher uh, that Warwick J Fletcher who I mentioned earlier uh, he he points out uh, some of the more believable of the ideas. Uh, regarding coconut crabs opening coconuts, okay. The first is that the crab first dehusks the coconut, and so then it gets all the f- yeah. stringy fibers. Yeah, off pulls of off it. the stringy fibers, and then climbs up the tree with it, and then drops it to bust it open. Huh. This does not seem to be. Um, a popular theory like this doesn't seem to be one that a lot of people are really putting a lot of stock in because it it sounds crazy, right? The idea that the crab would take the coconut and despite being a, no one's doubting that the coconut crab is is not a great climber, but the idea that it would get the coconut and climb a tree and drop it seems crazy. Um, I think the other likely idea is that it might cry, climb the tree, of course, and and dislodge the coconut somehow, hmm. which is is more likely given its ability to climb. But then uh, other versions are that it uh, it simply dehusks the coconut and then bashes the nut open with its claw, or that uh, that it pokes a claw through one of the eyes, like the lower part of one of the eyes, and then snips the coconut open. Well, that would be a very powerful snip. Fortunately, uh, these are very powerful claws. This last method, the snipping method, uh, actually was observed by Fletcher in the lab. Uh, but he points out that it took several days for the crab to do it. Huh. But then again, like the, this crab is on its own schedule. You know, who yeah. are you to impose, uh, you know, your human schedule on this mighty decapod?
0: Yeah, quit hurrying me. We're on crab time. <laughs>
1: we mentioned already that husks and broken coconuts are often seen in the domain of the coconut crab. However, contrary to opinions in the past, it is not a pest. For coconut growers, mm-hmm. nothing on the level of, say, the rat, which is a true pest for coconut growers. Now, the, the crab here doesn't depend on the coconut as a primary food source. Uh, again, it's happy with all these other uh, things it comes across to eat. It's a, it's, it's an omnivore. Uh, it is not exclusive to the coconut, but it does seem to eat them. And in order to eat them, it has to tear into the coconut with those claws. The the claws of the coconut crab have the strongest pinching force of any crustacean, uh, and according to a, a stu- this according to a study published uh, November twenty third two thousand sixteen in the uh, open access journal PLOS One uh, by a, a, a Japanese team of researchers led by uh, Shinichiro Oka, and that's that's saying something, right? I mean, th- this is the the strongest pinching force of any crustacean. Because decapods exert the greatest pinching force relative to their mass Mm -hmm. in general. And then this is the greatest pincher of them all. They write, quote, "...based on the crab's maximum known weight..." The maximum pinching force of their claws was projected to be uh, 3,300 newtons. This exceeds both the pinching force of other crustaceans and the bite force of all terrestrial animals except alligators.
0: Now, I was looking around and I could be missing something, but I I found that to be slightly contradicted by other figures that were saying like, you know, what would be the bite force of like a tiger or a lion? And I saw that estimated at somewhere around 4,000 newtons. I mean, even being in the same ballpark as the bite force of a tiger sounds pretty good. Well, yeah, because I I don't know about you, but when I think of being pinched by a
1: crab, I tend to think of it more as an annoyance. uh, Not a
0: bone-crushing
1: kind of... Right. Like if I'm playing around on the beach and uh, my son and I see a crab and I'm like, oh, should I touch it uh, on its head? And my son's like, oh, don't do it. You'll get pinched. I'm not thinking about losing a finger. Right. Uh but these these suckers are also strong. Uh I've read that they can lift up to twenty-eight kilograms or sixty-one pounds. Wow. And certainly if you look back to Kingdom of the Crabs, that that uh, documentary special narrated by David Attenborough, you see uh like three or four of them tearing across uh, tearing apart a bird carcass. Yeah.
0: So they're they're powerful and should maybe be worshipped as gods, I'm just saying. <laughs> Well, I mean, there, there's a reason when when the crabs start doing their dominance displays, what do they do? They hold their claws up in the air. They're like, look at the power. Look at the glory. Yeah. Do you see it?
1: Yeah. And that that again brings me back to uh, what uh, Douglas J. Emlin uh, pointed out in his book, Animal Weapons, that you know these are high energy adaptations, not only for just growing these powerful muscular pinchers, but also the ability to wave them around like that, the ability to put on that show.
0: Yeah. And that's, I mean... When you think about it, there are there are very different kinds of powerful muscles that nature can invest in. You know, you've got the muscles of a cheetah which no one would say are not very powerful right but Mm -hmm. they're you know they're they're powerful uh, like the leg and the body muscles that allow it to move very fast and then you've got these other I'm sure there's a biological or biomechanics term for this I'm not aware of at the moment that's sort of like the single use muscle Mm -hmm. that's there for exerting a really powerful single force all at once it's not made for speed it's not made for you know necessarily repeated use or anything but it's like the jaw muscles of the crocodile right and the crocodilians have one of the most powerful bites or i think the most powerful bite of any uh animal that comes onto land right yes i believe so Uh, this reminds me we should we should
1: come back and do a um like a bite based episode because i don't know some some listeners might find it a bit dry but but i'm always fascinated by the ranking of the different bites (laughs) right and then also when you get into the the uh, the study of uh, what the 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 uh, estimated bite power would have been for something say like a saber toothed cat
0: yeah uh, yeah of extinct animals well i remember we were uh, in our episode about the wolf of Whale street mm-hmm. we were comparing the estimated bite forces of the the megalodon the ancient gigantic shark and the uh, the leviathan the ancient predatory whale yes and I recall they were uh, the, they they were somewhere around each other. I think. Yeah, I believe they were comparable. Robert, have you heard this bizarre theory that Amelia Earhart was eaten by coconut crabs? No, I have not. <laughs> Is this a, this an actual theory? It, well, I mean, I don't – it's not one of those that has good direct evidence for it. It's one of those that – it seems like every few years this shows up again in a new round of articles on the internet uh, because – probably just because it's a captivating image. But I think the idea – so in 1937, Amelia Earhart – you know, she vanished while flying over the Pacific with Fred Noon and her navigator mm-hmm. and nobody knows what happened to them. It's often been presumed that there there might have been bad weather and they crashed into the water and they sank into the ocean and, and died, you know, died in the crash or drowned. Uh, the, everybody's always got these these hypothetical, what if she actually landed on this island and something happened to the plane and, you know, and that's why we don't, you know, whatever. But there's apparently some theory that uh, she crash landed on an island called Nicomaruro and that her remains were not found there in full because they were consumed and dragged into the dens of land crabs, of, of oh. coconut crabs. I, I do, As I said— there does not appear to be good direct evidence for this. It's just more kind of like, uh, what if this happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, assuming that she she did crash upon an island like
1: that and either survived or didn't, if uh, she stayed there and, and she died there, it, it seems highly likely that the land crabs would eat her. The land crabs are will scavenge and they will consume human flesh. That's why you have that old uh, bit of folk wisdom to never eat crabs after a hurricane. Ooh. Because you're uh, because I guess you don't want to eat crabs that have been eating human flesh. I have not heard that one. But yeah. Wow. However, if you kind of secretly want to eat human flesh, probably <laughs> never a better time. I, I, it's a weird area to get into to jokes about uh, hurricane related death. But uh, here we are.
0: Well, I didn't mean to be insensitive about hurricane related death. But uh, yeah, I, I do not believe that there is any good reason to think that this is what happened to Amelia Earhart. I think most of the historians of uh, – or her biographers and historians think that they probably sank into the ocean. But anyway, for some reason, people want to keep coming back to this one. I think they just like the idea of crabs eating people.
1: Well, like I say, crabs are going to eat people. Um, crabs have probably eaten quite a few people uh, over over the course of human history, especially in uh, in areas close to the sea. And ultimately, would uh, would sky burial by land crab be that bad of a thing? You know? Oh, I'm not sure it uh, would. Yeah, you could become part of somebody's limpid oil. Yeah. Uh, this could be one of the big trends in the future, you know, as we're beginning to is moving even further away from uh, from from burial of the dead. Uh, we've all done whole episodes about uh, some of the newer methods of burial that have become. Uh, uh, increasingly popular, the idea of green burials. Uh, perhaps we will come back to something more like the Tibetan sky burial, where a body is uh, is ritually um, uh, taken apart and then fed to scavenging animals. In yeah. the, in the uh, Tibetan case, it is vultures. But why not uh, land crabs? Why not the coconut crab? Uh, I think it's a good idea to give the invertebrates a taste for us. Yes. <laughs> now, speaking of giant crabs that may consume human flesh... Um, Giant crabs are, of course, pretty popular in motion pictures, mm-hmm. and I well, know that not you as popular
0: a fan. as you might think. Yes, there, I think that there should be way more giant
1: crab movies. Well, what, what are some of the, the notable examples? I mean, the main well, one that comes to my mind is Mysterious Island from Fifty One, because you had those Ray Harryhausen effects of that giant
0: crab oh th- those are great uh, I love attack of the crab monsters the 1957 Roger Corman special it's uh, oh, you know yeah. I you know I'm a sucker for the Atomic Age monster movies mm-hmm. where there was atomic radiation and it made a bigger version of some normal <laughs> animal except it's not just a bigger version of crabs in this movie it's great because they're telepathic sort of immaterial magnetic electric radioactive crabs oh, yes. that absorb the consciousness of everyone they eat and they've got plans for world domination and they slowly are consuming the island that they live on. It, it, it's um, it's just one of the best stupid movies ever made because it is made with such energy and enthusiasm. I think a lot of that goes to the script by Charles Griffith, who is one of my favorite B-movie writers. Uh, it, it, there's a gleeful embrace of the absurdity. Uh, supposedly, Roger Corman told – Griffith, when he was writing the script, that he was like, I don't want any boring scenes of people just talking. There's got to be action or suspense in every scene. <laughs> and oh, then uh, the, the story goes that Griffith asked him, OK, does it have to be about atomic radiation? And Corman said, Yes. So this is the film where the crabs have kind of human-looking faces. Yeah, they've got googly eyes. Yeah,
1: and is this the one that you were telling me about where it's possible that Jack Nicholson played the crab?
0: He, I think people have denied it, but other people have claimed it. So <laughs> Jack Nicholson was part of the Corman scene. Mm-hmm. I think he was helping out on set with Corman movies in the 50s. And uh, yeah, some people have claimed that underneath the giant crab puppet in Attack of the Crab Monsters. In some shots, it's Nicholson under there, but other people have said it's not him. So oh, man. It, we, we, that is a, there's a question mark there. Well, we I, don't know. I
1: hope we get to get to find out. Maybe that'll be like a deathbed confession from Jack Nicholson. He'll, <laughs> be he'll the tell best. the world that he was the crab the, all along.
0: Those are my ankles under that crab.
1: <laughs> I was that crab. Oh, man. Can't you imagine then they'll get to fit that footage into the uh, dedication uh, at the Academy Awards. Uh-huh. Oh man.
0: There there are hilarious stories about the behind the scenes puppet work where they were trying to get the crab puppet to do what they wanted because there was like an underwater scene where they were trying to feature it but it we, I think it was made of uh uh fiberglass and stuff and it wouldn't sink. It was mm. like too buoyant and they were weighing it down with stuff to try to make it sink and but it ended up exploding somehow.
1: Oh and so they're filming this in the actual surf, right?
0: Uh, well it might have I think it was in like an aquarium oh, tank okay. somewhere. to say if they
1: were trying to film in the surf I can only imagine how awful that would have been. Yeah. Like trying to do anything in the, in the surf other than just sort of retain your footing is, uh, is is quite a challenge enough.
0: There are at least a few scenes that are actually shot in the surf. There's one great one where there are a few guys – they're like these Navy sailors in a rowboat and they're just off the coast. And one guy falls in the water and they pull him back out and he doesn't have a head. <laughs> and then one of the scientists is like, I hope that man's death is not an omen of things to come. Well, a crab that would that big would have had considerable um, uh, pinching power, though, yeah. for sure. Well, they do specify in Attack of the Crab Monsters that the crabs are supposed to be land crabs. Oh. So maybe—I mean, they look more just like blue crabs or something. They got normal kind of sea crab—or I don't know about blue crabs. They look like, you know—
1: well, they look kind of like the red, the Christmas Island
0: look, red crab. They, they right? look like the kind of crabs you would eat. No, yeah. not so much like those. They look like the crabs that you would buy at the grocery store. I don't oh, know what okay. those are called. And maybe they're land. Maybe they're, But anyway, I, I suppose it could be partially inspired by the kind of decapod crustacean we've been discussing today, maybe.
1: Well, but and yet you – I don't think in any of these giant crab movies you see a giant land crab – um, that looks like a giant hermit crab. It looks like the coconut crab, which is our best example of a giant decapod.
0: No, I don't think so. There's also, there's a movie called Island Claws that is pretty good if you get a chance. It's also a terrible giant crab bee movie. But I also think in that one, it's just, it looks more like, uh, you know, dinner crabs. They were created by some scientific experiments performed by Barry Nelson. Oh, all right. But, you know this makes me think though that that maybe what we don't need is more giant
1: crab films in terms of just like huge hulking truck-sized crabs but how about just like a dog-sized crab you know <laughs> just just scale up a little bit from the coconut crab and then give it give it uh, enhanced speed uh, i think i feel like that's the kind of movie that uh, audiences would really get behind
0: yeah i agree more giant crab movies, please. Yeah, or to go back to the, uh, the the Christmas Island
1: crabs. You know, streaming hordes of tiny crabs. Mm-hmm. You could essentially make the the, the, the squirm movie of uh, uh, of crab films.
0: Oh, that's sort of what Island Claws is. Before there's a giant crab at the end. There's oh, yeah. one part where uh, guys like living in a bus. You know, mm-hmm. I, he's just living in a bus, and he suddenly there are crabs everywhere, and he goes ah, and then the crabs turn his bus over. I'm not oh. sure how they do that sort
1: of the this is kind of the sacrificial hobo character that shows yes, up in, in, in a lot exactly. of horror it films. It is that guy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that my favorite example, of course, being the original from uh, or I maybe not the original, but I feel like the uh, a prime example of the archetype, the uh, the old man who pokes the meteorite in the blob. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: yeah. The old geordie verrill mistake. <laughs> All right, well there you have it. We we got a little off
1: topic there at the end just talking about uh Giant Crab Cinema, but uh this was a fun episode. Uh, the, the Coconut Crab, I originally thought would just be part of our Christmas, of a single Christmas Island episode, but it turned out they were just far more interesting. There was too much limpid oil in there. Just too much limpid oil. We just had to suck it all up. So, uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Again, if you've ever been to Christmas Island or any – or if you've been to any island that has uh, – in this case, that has coconut crabs or robber crabs, uh, if you'd rather, uh, please tell us about your uh, your sightings of these creatures or your experiences with these creatures. We would love to hear from you. In the meantime, check out all the episodes of this show at StuffToBlowYourMind.com. Uh, that is where you'll find all the episodes. You'll find links to our social media accounts. Uh, just a quick reminder to check out our new show, Invent. You'll find that at inventionpod.com. That comes out every Monday. Each episode is a new invention, a new uh, page from human techno history. And if you
0: dig this show, we think you're going to dig invention as well. Absolutely. So check it out. A big thanks to our awesome audio producers, Alex Williams and Tari Harrison. If you would like to get in touch with us directly to let us know feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, just to say hi, you can email us at Blow the mind at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.